Hey, Last Mile DeFi friends. This conversation is with Jackie Bona, the CEO of Allura Wallet. So in this conversation, we explore Jackie's background coming from Google, Spotify, Twitter, where she was primarily working on the product marketing front. We discuss what lessons she took from this past experience and how she's now leveraging that to build Valora Wallet. So for those of you that aren't familiar, Valora Wallet is a wallet destined to onboard the masses by providing a seamless user experience that is hyper-localized. To date, Valora is present in over 100 different countries and has been translated into 13 different languages, something that is truly unique to the wallet ecosystem. So we discussed the origins of the Valora wallet, which began as a testing wallet of the Celo ecosystem that was originally field tested in refugee camps and throughout Latin America. We explore some of the challenges when it comes to building wallets that enable mass onboarding and also where the opportunities lie for crypto wallets in the future. Something that I think is really important to emphasize is the need to develop crypto solutions that unlock practical utility today whether that is payments, providing UBI, or just generally being able to exchange goods and services through cryptographic means, and also creating wallets that provide a seamless experience for people to do that. So for those of you that, like me, believe that crypto wallets are the future of mass adoption, this conversation will be super fascinating. Hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Last Mile DeFi. Today I am joined by Jackie Bona from Valora. Jackie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Super happy to have you here. Um, we first met at DevCon in Bogota and, and had a really fascinating conversation amidst all the buzz and a very sort of like relevant context. So really great to sort of dive into a little bit further of what you're working on with Valora and just get your thesis on the future of wallets, kind of the current state as well. So, but before diving into all of that amazing uh, content, would love to explore a little bit more of your personal story, just get a sense of, you know, how did you get to where you are today? What sort of led you to crypto and uh, what ultimately led you to work on Valora? So let's, let's start there. Oh, sorry. I'm still getting used to this uh, this equipment. But, um, but yeah, a little bit about my background and, and personal story. Uh, I guess, guess I can start with my, my personal background. Um, I grew up here in California, but was born in the Philippines. And so my family and I immigrated to the U.S. when I was five. Uh, so very used to kind of the, the dual culture, um, you know, stayed close to my family in the Philippines. If anything, I was just there uh, for Christmas. And so uh, even to this day, you know, something that's like a big, big part of me. Um, and really, I mean, I think where that carries over to my professional background and what's been kind of the, the driving motivation uh, kind of in my work and in my life is um, I got to see essentially the difference between growing up here in the U.S. and growing up in the Philippines and essentially the haves and have nots and the fact that like opportunity is not equal, um, even though talent and drive and intelligence uh, can be. And so um you know, throughout my life, uh, I've really used education as something to help open up opportunities. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to go, uh, you know, to a great university, uh, then, you know, got a chance to, uh, to join the tech industry in a, in a very uh, early stage. Um, and so that's where I've spent the majority of my career. And um, if anything there, this is where I learned boundless, you know, possibilities and opportunities, uh, having worked on many global, you know, high growth uh, businesses and tech companies. And so, um, so kind of talking a little bit about, about my professional career, um, I've spent the last, you know, 15 plus years uh, working in, uh, you know, some of the biggest tech companies, um, got my start at Google, uh, where I spent a total of eight years there, um, primarily working on kind of monetization and go to market in international markets. Uh, I started off in a very humble role, uh, essentially, you know, kind of a customer service sales role. Uh, did everything from, you know, door-to-door -door ad sales to, uh, you know, approving uh, ads to, uh, you know, writing customer service emails and even doing an a, a 866 line. And so um, I saw that as, you know, a very formative time in my career, my, my first two years of my tech career, because there you're interfacing directly with, with users. You have to know the product inside and out because you're kind of like answering all these questions. Uh, and then you're you're actually uh, educating them as you know back then as online advertising was very new. 
Um, I see a lot of parallels to that uh, with crypto, right? Because obviously we're working in a very new space where not a lot of people know um, or, or know how to use uh, this new technology. And so I was able to take a lot of that experience. Uh, and in that time at Google, you know, had worked in in many different markets around the world. So it was sent to, to different offices, uh, not only to launch them, but to also launch new products. Um, so I spent time uh, in Asia where, you know, I spent time in Singapore as well as in India. Uh, also spent a good amount in, in Latin America, where I spent two and a half years, uh, mostly in the Brazil market, uh, working on uh, YouTube and, and uh, you know, Google monetization there. Um, a little bit of time in Argentina and in Mexico, and then uh, eventually came back uh, to the U.S., um, where I really wanted to, you know, leverage that international perspective and kind of, you know, build and, and lead global teams that have uh, not only empathy, but uh, but can work to, uh, you know, to obviously uh, influence teams, um, not, you know, not only here in kind of the headquarters uh, for these big tech companies, but also to build products for people around the world. And so, um, so that's kind of the, the story of my career. Uh, at least at Google, moved to Twitter, was in a similar role, um, spent three years there, uh, you know, obviously was there at a, at a high growth time. We were also launching offices internationally, um, you know, led product marketing there and, and uh, did a very similar role. Uh, also at Spotify, um, you know, launching different products to uh, to global audiences around the world. Um, you know, you're probably wondering why did I leave that because that sounds pretty awesome, and it, and it was. Um, however, you know, I think that um, kind of taking the challenge of, you know, how do you kind of take a very hard problem uh, of, you know, uh, launching a, a brand new product that will have massive impact that is global, um, you know. I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do next that I didn't really know where I wanted to work, but I had a, an idea of uh, different industries of what I, or problems that I wanted to work on and, and therefore different industries. And so uh, crypto was actually one of the industries that I was thinking of. Um, however, it wasn't really on the top of my list, uh, primarily because I didn't really see a lot of people that looked like me and, you know, obviously didn't have a great, you know, crypto just doesn't have a great reputation in general for, for diversity. Um, but I knew it was, you know, uh, obviously a very early but impactful technology, um, one that has global scope from day one and one that could have massive impact uh, to users. And um, kind of as I was, you know, pondering and contemplating this, uh, I got introduced to the founders of Celo, uh, find out, found out a little bit more about their mission, um, really, you know, to, to expand prosperity for all. Um, and I love their focus on emerging markets, which is, you know, obviously something that I, I have a passion for and have a background in. And so um, took the leap to join the Celo team in early 2020, um, you know, worked with them to launch Mainnet. Uh, Valora, or the earliest version of Valora, was actually the test app that was used to uh, build certain layers of the protocol to make it uh, mobile-first and user-friendly. And uh, essentially, that you know, with my product marketing background, wanted to kind of name it, uh, launch it, and uh, the rest is history in terms of actually turning it into its own company. And so um, that's a little bit about my background and, and how I got into crypto. Incredible, incredible. I, I love that you can bring all of the experience across your time at Google, Twitter, Spotify, all of which are very user facing companies and be able to leverage that and bring all that insight to a really hard problem, which is crypto wallets, right? Um, I, I think they're generally seen as, as really the... Uh, so far, in my opinion, of all the wallets I have seen in the ecosystem, no one wallet is, and it's not necessarily that we will have one wallet that will do everything, but it really does feel that that is one of the key barriers to entry. And from a lot of the conversations I've had to date as well, that is resounding feedback I've seen in the industry. So I, I, I'd love to get your overview on Valora, get a sense of, you know, where does the Valora story emerge from, started at Cello, you know, what were the, the theses you were exploring as you were looking to build out Valora? And where did you want to take it as you continue to, you know, grow it past Cello as well? And um, I, I know you at one point sort of decided to uh, ex branch out from the Cello ecosystem specifically and, and create its own sort of like Valora uh, application. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of walk us through the Valora story and your, your intentions as you were going about building the, the wallet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that uh, really Valora or the early version of Valora 
um, started at Celo um, and, you know, Celo being a, a, a mobile optimized and also a very user focused uh, blockchain in order for that, the early team to be able to do that, they needed uh, something that users can test and feel um, and you can't really play, a, you know, play with a protocol, right? And so um, the earliest version of Valora was that test app that the team would use in field research. Um, so they would go out to, you know, different markets like the Philippines, Argentina, um, even refugee camps in, in Africa uh, to essentially test out, like, could we build something that would be useful and that could work on any grade mobile phone um, in adverse environments that had, like, low connectivity. And I think um, for me, um, you know, that was something that, uh, you know, in terms of the principle of having uh, a tool and, a, and a, um, an app and a wallet that had access that, you know, anyone with a mobile phone, no matter if they had the latest iPhone or, uh, you know, a years old Android phone could, could actually access uh, still remains true to this day. But going back to the origin, um, again, you know, it was used as a task app. Uh, the, the early solo team was able to find, find out a few things, uh, just from user research, uh, because, you know, they, they essentially tried to build, uh, uh, a, a global Venmo, um, on top of, uh, Ethereum and couldn't primarily because of, you know, uh, high gas fees, uh, primarily, uh, but also just didn't really function, uh, on, on a mobile phone in low connectivity. And so uh, the early, early version of Valora was born. Uh, you know, they tested it out in, in multiple markets. Uh, they found out things that, you know, not only do you need low fees, but you need an easy way for people to actually pay for transaction fees. And so uh, one of the things that, you know, Valora uh, takes advantage of from the Solo platform is uh, the ability to pay for gas with a single token. So you don't need, you know, two different tokens because that doesn't make sense for a non-crypto native uh, user. Um, and to be able to do it, uh, you know, in a, in a fast uh, and secure way. And so um, those were really the, the key things that were discovered, um, you know, from the early days of Valora, uh, you know, as we worked to launch not only the Celo mainnet platform, but also uh, some of the stable coin currencies like CUSD, this really enabled the ability to actually send global currency, uh, you know, in a, in a seamless manner. And so, you know, one of the things with Valora, um, you know, that we take advantage of is the ability to be able to text money to any phone number in the world. And so, uh, you know, not using your public key identifier, which is very long, uh, you know, easy to mess up, uh, impossible to remember, <laughs> but your phone number, right? Like most people have a phone number and a mobile phone. Um, and I think that was like one of the driving forces uh, for for us at Solo was that, you know, more people have mobile phones um, versus bank accounts. And so from a, you know, an access and addressable opportunity point of view, this was really the opportunity that we wanted to fill was to be able to provide financial services to people with uh, their mobile mobile phones. And the, the broadest way to be able to, to provide that access was, yeah, via mobile. So, um, so essentially, you know, again, going back to kind of the original, uh, uh, kind of goal of Laura was really to to help share value and to create value for for people uh, for anyone with a mobile phone, and so um, you know the early version of Valora was born um, again went from test app to then really thinking about well you know this can be something that uh, has legs that can stand uh, on its own obviously with the support of the community and 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 Celo uh, itself um, so this is really where um, we, I saw the opportunity to brand Valora into kind of its own identity, its own name, um, and to really, you know, figure out like what would it take to actually launch this uh, in a big way. And so the name Valora was born, um, and, and really the name comes from a derivative of uh, uh, the Esperanto word of value, which is Valoro. And I and I really the vision of it was that I was like, wow, like this is really a tool that can can unlock new possibilities of value and opportunity. Um, not only, you know, are you able to kind of send funds seamlessly with this app, but like through this kind of rich ecosystem of dApps, uh, you're able to do so many things like, uh, you know, gain access to financial services through DeFi. But then also um, a lot of the early usage for Valora was actually used in tandem with many of these solutions that were built on Celo that helped um, underserved communities make their assets more productive. And so, you know, there's a few stories that I can tell 
you know, some of these like early uh, pilots and, and some of the use cases where Valora is used today um, that kind of, you know, unlock these, these opportunities and, and new possibilities of value. And so, um, so yeah, so that's really where the name comes from. And, you know, again, we've been focused on kind of access, uh, usability through uh, seamless UX. And also, like, how do you make this kind of like these new solutions, right, um, uh, relevant and familiar to the communities that you're actually speaking to? And so uh, we've done a lot of work, uh, not only to kind of <clears throat> language lo localize the app, um, you know, Valora is localized in 13 different languages, but also working with the seller community to um, how do we package up, you know, some of these uh, local solutions and dApps uh, so, you know, Valora can work uh, for these local communities. Um, I know we're still very early in that, but that's really the vision is uh, using this as a tool to, uh, yeah, essentially provide financial services to people in multiple markets around the world. And how do you make it culturally relevant to them? Amazing. Amazing. I, I love that. For me, it's always very uh, assuring knowing that the Valora team is doing the work as far as being able to localize the development of a wallet that had its origins very early on in the Celo ecosystem that, as you said, was like battle tested in refugee camps uh, throughout Latin America as well. And so to know that there is, you know, a specific wallet that is being developed with that in mind is, is I think, a big assurance for those that care about last mile adoption, right? I mean, very few wallets that I have come across are translated into local languages, which I think is oftentimes like a starting point that people need to think about from from the moment you open the app, if it's in English, for example, which tends to be the case, um, you are immediately going to have a really high drop off rate because how are you meant to even store, you know, private keys, for example, right? And so, I, I'd love to understand and, and get a picture of, and and this is both like from a macro perspective, you know, how's it going at Valora? How's adoption going? Um, where have you seen like really exciting use cases come up and maybe also dive into like a, as you're weaving that story, a couple of examples of, you know, people that are using it on a regular basis and have derived a substantial amount of value, um, from, from the application. So in terms of, uh, how it's been going, um, so Valora just turned two actually a couple weeks ago, uh, which has been really exciting. Uh, we did our, our public launch yeah, in, in 2021 and, uh, we actually did this really fun campaign, um, called, uh, your Valora, uh, where we looked at, um, kind of like different user activity of our users, uh, segmented them and like, uh, kind of, you know, created them into like fun personas. And so kind of like a Spotify wrapped, but for like on-chain activity, and, um, and essentially, yeah, like was able to kind of do this fun, you know, kind of thank you to our users. Uh, we get, gifted them an F NFT. We kind of like told them to check their wallets to see what persona they were. So I don't know, Marcus, if you've, uh, if you've checked, but you know, you can either be like a DeFi diver, a social butterfly, um, a cello power user, NFT patron, et cetera. So there's, there's multiple personas there. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the community really came out and, um, we also have this like really fun competition where it's like if you shared your Valora persona, um, you know, you can like win a prize essentially. And uh, what that translated into was actually uh, our users in 13 different languages tweeting about, you know, their their Valora persona. So you could actually uh, uh, search on Twitter, hashtag your Valora to kind of see all the different languages, everything from, you know, Spanish, Thai, to Russian, um, and so it was a really cool kind of display of, of uh, our community. Um, kind of where that kind of leads in, ter in terms of yeah adoption was, is, uh, so Valora is used in over 100 different countries, which is great. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, very healthy traction um, from, uh, you know, some of the European markets, uh, Spain and Italy uh, specifically. Uh, a lot of that was guided from uh, some of the, camp the early campaigns that we did, uh, you know, since we have, you know, good on-ramps there. Um, strong traction in uh, some African markets like Nigeria and Kenya, um, you know, historically strong crypto adoption in general, but like, you know, some of the, some of the uh, early solo pilots um, that we've done there from a micro work perspective uh, also have carried over from today. And then in, uh, and in Latin America, um, you know, Brazil is actually one of our strongest markets, um, you know, which is driven by a lot of the users from, um, 
you know, some of the partners that we work with in, in the cell ecosystem uh, that focus on, you know, UBI, uh, which is actually really, uh, you know, a great thing because, um, again, the original vision for Valora was to kind of use Valora as a tool to kind of empower people to access financial services through their mobile phone. Um, so, yeah, so like Brazil, uh, Colombia as well also has, uh, you know, great traction there. Um, I mentioned that I wanted to kind of tell 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 a story, and um, I, I wanted to focus on one um, from uh, Latin America, since I know this is what this this podcast is is focused on. Um, but essentially, um, uh, back during the pandemic, so this is like in the early days of, of when we had launched Valora uh, uh, publicly or in beta. I mean, um, we ran a pilot with the Sella Foundation, uh, and actually with James, who you who you know and has been on the podcast. Um, to to see like you know could we provide microloans to uh, Venezuelan refugees you know as you know um, there's many of them um, in Colombia uh, that come and you know basically have to rebuild their lives uh, they don't have formal documentation and, and uh, oftentimes are not eligible you know for, for work and so um, you know how are we able to kind of empower them right with kind of additional capital to make their their time and their work more productive. And so again, this Columbia pilot started during the pandemic, uh, you know, where the Cello team uh, kind of, you know, used Cello platform, but also Valora to empower a group of Venezuelan migrants who uh, worked as delivery people for uh, Rappi. So I think they're called the Rapideros. Is that, uh, you're probably more familiar than, uh, for, than, than I on, on this. I don't know if that's what they're um, called. I, I We have... Early instances of Rapi here. It's just coming to Guatemala, but yeah, it, the listeners will actually have heard at this point James's part of James's story as well. So it's nice to be able to bring these two worlds together. Great, great, great. Yes, and so, um, so basically, you know, the the team was able to um, basically take these uh, uh, like work with these couriers um, to essentially give them uh, just a five hundred dollar micro loan to be able to purchase uh, you know a motor to basically make their uh, deliveries much more efficient. Um, they would typically do these deliveries on a manual bicycle, but actually through this micro loan, actually be able to get, uh, you know, essentially make this a, a motorized bike um, to, you know, help them be more productive and extended their range and double their income. And so, you know, definitely some of the benefits here was that, uh, you know, through Cello and Valora uh, and through these kind of digital micro loans, these, uh, you know, essentially, uh, you know, this this group of uh, refugees was able to access financial services through their mobile phone, get great terms, uh, you know, increase transparency, and then also just offer them the opportunity, right, to um, to participate in, uh, you know, in in uh, work that could be more productive for them. And so, I mean, long story short, the the um, the result of the story was. Uh, the average, I guess, uh, earning potential for the cohort of the, the people that participated, uh, their incomes doubled just from this and uh, wouldn't have been able to do that right without this additional capital to kind of get this, uh, this, this motorbike uh, to double, their, to double their, their income. And so really making a substantial impact to their lives and something that, you know, wouldn't have been possible without uh, you know, the ability to be able to kind of do this through decentralized finance. And so something that I really love, um, you know, and a story that I really love to tell uh, primarily because, yeah, like this is like a, a, a perfect kind of, um, I guess, embodiment of what we want the vision to be for both Cello and Valora, right? Is like, how do we use this tool that everyone has in their back pocket, a mobile phone, to, you know, increase their access to opportunities that they wouldn't normally have access to and therefore get them on the path of prosperity. And so, yeah, so I think like, you know, this is, you know, just one example, but something that I would love to be able to, um, you know, continue in terms of the work that we've been doing. And so that's great to hear that, you know, James has also referenced this as well, um, since, since it is something that, um, again, uh, it, it's a, a good embodiment of the vision and, and what we um, want to see more of uh, in the world. I think, yeah, I mean, I think the, the Rola story is such a powerful one. And to be able to, particularly with Venezuelan migrants, to be able to offer them some form of identification that isn't otherwise recognized by 
you know, national governments or people who might provide you with microfinancing and to be able to contain all of that as well within the Valora ecosystem where, you know, there may be a future where your government issued ID is uh, perhaps you can verify that on chain and that is held in your wallet as well as your past credit history as well. And all of that can ultimately be delivered to users um, through a super seamless and, and slick app. And so um, I do want to sort of get into your thoughts around the wallet ecosystem that exists today. But before doing that, could you speak a little bit more to as you were, and, and this is going back to the, the instance when you jumped into crypto, what was it that you saw in the Celo ecosystem where I think these types of stories with Roda and Valora and a, a lot of others, uh, the UPI that's being distributed through Celo, like I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit more to what is it that you saw in the Celo ecosystem what are you seeing today and, and where do you really see kind of the Celo ecosystem continuing to grow and flourish? And, you know, what role will Valora play as those expansions and, and growth continues to happen within Celo? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think for me, um, again, the the original kind of introduction to Celo for me was really around the mission and its commitment to end users. And that was something that I saw that was unique. Uh, relative to the blockchains, at least, you know, three years ago that existed and, and probably even more arguably so to this day, uh, very focused on the end user, um, very focused on emerging markets. And, you know, I, mean, I think many of us that work in crypto really see the like the, the true application for crypto to really empower, right, kind of um, people that aren't able to access the tra traditional financial system. And that was like one of the driving forces there. Um, I think also not only was the mission that some, was something that stood out for me with Celo, but it was the fact that they were focused on mobile. And really, I mean, one of the only blockchains that were, or maybe the only blockchain even to this day that, that is focused on mobile in that way. Um, having worked at, you know, many of these tech companies in, in my career um, and really having worked in, in the time where mobile took off, uh, you know, back in kind of, you know, 2008-ish, uh, 2009, uh, after, you know, the iPhone really took off, App Store, et cetera. Um, I mean, there's still a massive opportunity there. And I think that, you know, again, going back to like more people have a mobile phone in their back pocket than an access, access to a bank account or a government issued ID, et cetera. Um, all these people can access the internet, right? Like they could all access like Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, you know, all of these different things, right? They all know how to search now. And and it's like, well, why can't they like, you know, send money like they would uh, a text message or a phone number or um, be able to access, you know, a loan as easily as like, I don't know, signing up for a Twitter account. Um, and I think like for me, that was really something that stood out when um, really learning about Cello was, you know, everyone always talks about the mission, but I also think it's it's just the the opportunity, right, itself to be able to reach and impact as many people as possible through something that already has like ubiquitous adoption um, and, you know, and, and really an untapped opportunity for just the crypto market, you know, or crypto industry in general um, is really, you know, is really something that's still exciting today. And so, where does Valora fit in and where does Valora fit in, in all of this? It's like, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're a mobile only wallet. We don't have a, a web plugin or anything like that. Um, we've optimized everything uh, you know, for you to be able to do everything on your mobile phone. Uh, not only the ability to transact and do whatever you need to do within a wallet, but, you know, we've been work also working really hard to be able to on and off ramp uh, your crypto um, in the wallet itself uh, on, on your mobile phone. And so I think that like, you know, really, we want to be able to have <clears throat> a great end-to-end -end experience um, just on your mobile phone, uh, just so you can kind of do everything you need, you need to do, live your digital life. Uh, and, you know, if you don't have a laptop or, or access beyond your mobile phone, um, Valora could be be the home for you. And so that's really where kind of Cello and Valora comes in is, is really anchored on uh, not only the mission, but mobile first. All right. So I'd also love to explore your thoughts around the wider wallet ecosystem. Um, so we've heard a lot about Valora and a lot of the very poignant value add that you're bringing to last mile users around the world. 
and also in Latin America, as, as you mentioned, you know, this podcast is really centered around the role of onboarding more folks in the region into crypto. So why haven't we been able to deploy wallets where everyone, instead of having to rely on really clunky mobile banking apps that oftentimes require like a outrageously high fee for people to be able to access as the case here in Guatemala or still using cash in a similar fashion to say Venmo, a payments application in the States. You know, I, I, I'm, it boggles me that we still don't have a wallet here that basically the Libra project that Facebook was working on. Like, why haven't we yet gotten to that state where wallets are serving like a mass user base? What are the sort of friction points? And maybe just walk us through the, the mental models that you've seen in wallet companies, projects that are looking to deploy their 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 wallets. And, you know, why why do we still not have mass adoption within the wallet ecosystem? Good question. And it's a, it's a hard problem to solve and obviously one that we've been thinking about every day uh, here at Valora. Um, I mean, I think it comes down, uh, you know, to how do you actually make this tool something that's useful in your day-to-day -day life? And, um, you know, a lot of that is, is like, can you use this digital currency uh, for everyday kind of use cases and goods and services? Um, a lot of that today is, you know, either blocked by on and off ramps. Um, so that's like a big problem that we see. Um, and really, I mean, I, you know, kind of stepping, taking a step back of really taking a look at like, what is a wallet actually used for, right? I mean, it should be used to, as a tool to kind of help you, yeah, make your life better to kind of um, help you, you know, not only store value, but to kind of exchange for goods and services, Um in the real world, but then also how do you make these assets more productive for you, right? Um, and so one big part of that is, you know, if you're not able to kind of exchange this digital currency for something in your local currency, right? And I think in, in many of these uh, emerging markets, um, you have models like, you know, local agents and kind of these local communities uh, where they have been able to kind of solve this on and off ramp problem, you know, albeit in a small way. And so you're kind of like asking about like this, like wider adoption. Um, so we have seen it work right in these communities where they have kind of solved this problem and whether is the on ramp is like, you know, UBI distribution, um, earning, uh, you know, the digital asset into existence through micro work uh, in your mobile phone. Um, these are all things that Melora has been used for in the past, which is like they're excellent on ramps, but you know, like, I think the big question is, like, how do we scale that? Because it's like, once you kind of, you know, have these kind of great on-ramps, um, some of the other, I guess, uh, you know, I guess, uh, barriers that you would think would be an issue, like trust, for example, or like, I don't know how to use this, like, those would actually be, be pretty easily solved if you're able to kind of get money into the hands of these people and, and show them that this could be, well, one, useful for them, and then the second, uh, more productive than maybe cash, right? Um, and so so I do think that that's like a massive opportunity is to kind of figure out like what are on and off ramps that kind of make sense. And, you know, it's not just about like linking your debit card or whatever into a wallet, which, you know, is, is fine too. But again, we've talked about, you know, uh, you know, massive communities that don't have that, that payment instrument, right, to connect. Um, so we have seen, you know, different applications of that. Uh, so I think that like it's happening today, you know, albeit at a smaller scale, you know, in, in different communities. Um, so how do we get that to, to scale? Um, I do think that like we're still in the early days, right, of kind of just the crypto economy in general. And um, once all these pieces start to coalesce around each other, the wallet will will basically be um, a, a very, you know, um, a very important part of that ecosystem because essentially, um, it's everything from, you know, where a user can like store their identity. Um, I've always seen a wallet as kind of like a single sign-on, right, to be able to access like different dApps or, or applications kind of in the in the in the ecosystem. Um, you know, it's something that you know, obviously, you're storing your own value. And for many of these communities that deal with, you know, high inflation, et cetera, it's a way for them to kind of preserve uh, value where you know maybe it's being lost in in other systems or areas. 
And then uh, kind of the third, it's like, you know, able, it's a, it's a tool that helps them uh, access opportunity, right? And whether that's through kind of, uh, you know, DeFi, um, earning, um, et cetera, uh, I do see wallets as, as, a, uh, as a tool for that um, to help them kind of be an access point uh, to this. And, you know, again, this is the reason why I'm so, so bullish on, on the mobile phone approach uh, is because, yeah, like, again, it, it just gives uh, access to the broadest, um, broadest population of people um, since most of us have a, a mobile phone in our pockets. Yeah, I mean, in Guatemala, 90% of internet usage comes from mobile phones. And that it, it's not surprising because everywhere you go in the streets, you see people watching YouTube videos, TikTok, Instagram reels. Um, and it is very evident that we are just going to leapfrog the personal computer, basically. And I think optimizing for a mobile first approach, I think, is hugely powerful. And as far as mass adoption, I think is 100% the approach to go. And there are yeah. wallets that do a fascinating job at, you know, have offering a decent like mobile experience. Let me repeat that. There are wallets that do a really great job at offering a desktop experience, but the mobile application is horrible and takes like two minutes to load, for example. I won't name any names. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think that being able to optimize for these developments that allow folks to access a wallet with a download from an app store, I think is, is really crucial and focusing on, you know, the on and off ramp question as well. I know you guys are exploring a lot of work with Fiat Connect as well. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could perhaps just speak to Fiat Connect briefly, because I do think that that is oftentimes a huge barrier to adoption with folks is having to on and off ramp. So uh, whether it's Fiat Connect or where have you seen, people really be able to uh, overcome the on and off ramp challenge and how do we do this at scale because we have uh, on and off ramps that require banks with local vendors you know so on and so forth i love the the idea of being able to integrate ubi and that facilitates the on and off ramp question but curious to, to get your thoughts on on that piece yeah thanks for asking that. yeah i mean uh, just a quick primer on what fiat connect is uh you can think of Fiat Connect is kind of like a wallet connect, but for on and off ramps. And so, you know, any provider or any wallet can kind of take advantage of it. And essentially it's like an open source kind of connection point um, that will enable kind of interoperability between uh, all these different things. And it's really the goal of like lighting up uh, an on and off ramp in every market in the world. And so the best way to do that is to uh, is to make it open. So it's not, not just a Valora thing, not just a Celo thing, but something that we hope will be something that will, you know, be more widely adopted. Um, and I think that, like, you know, there has been a lot of traction just from, uh, you know, more markets being available to these types of uh, crypto to fiat on and off ramps through, you know, these bigger providers that we've been um, working, that Valora has been working with, like Ramp and MoonPay, et cetera. So, so it's been promising to see that level of traction. I think where something like where Fiat Connect comes in is um, is kind of to this topic of last mile, right, where it's like, um, uh, smaller providers in uh, emerging markets, right, that may not be serviced or covered by some of the, the bigger players um, can actually serve their communities, um, you know, through uh, on and off ramps that are, are relevant to them, uh, that are in their local currencies, et cetera. And so uh, this actually enables just like, you know, better like localized solutions to be built by uh, local players in those ecosystems. And so um, so I think that's that's also a key, right? Um, again, you know, we've been seeing some great traction from some of the bigger global players, uh, which helps you know us as a wallet a lot. Um, but at the same time, if we're really talking about um, you know how do we make sure that we're empowering uh, you know folks, you know, in Guatemala or you know some of the uh, some of these other markets and communities, um, they may not be you know one of the focus markets. Essentially, um, this is a great you know, avenue and, and tool for them. And hopefully, you know, it can kind of be something that uh, will have the option for, for all these different on-ramps uh, and off-ramps uh, that will eventually translate in a, in, in a more competitive price, right, for the end user, uh, you know, which I think would be a great outcome because then it kind of lowers the, at least the cost barrier to adoption for, for many of these communities uh, that just makes it more affordable and, uh, you know, helps them retain uh, more of their money. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm really uh, excited to see Fiat Connect continue to sort of grow and, and create a, a big movement as far as 
being able to democratize access to on and off ramps globally as well. So tying into that question or let me rephrase that. So stepping out even further, let's discuss a little bit of, you know, the current state of wallets outside of the Valora kind of ecosystem, right? And, you know, what have you observed across all the different wallets that are offered today? What are the challenges that you have seen in aggregate across these different wallets? And what do we need in order to overcome those challenges? Whether that's UI, um, private keys as well, you know, and, and how does Valora think about each of these different questions um, as you go about thinking about the creating the most seamless, beautiful, easy to use experience for wallets? Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of wallets coming out. And, and I think that, you know, some of the um, different wallets, right, sometimes will have different use cases, sometimes will be focused on different chains, etc. Um, in the future, you know, I, I think that really what users will care about is kind of relevancy to them, right? Is it relevant to them, meaning like, is it localized to them? Does it serve their use case? Um, and does it do it better than anything else? Uh, you know, that they uh, may or may not have, have access to. And so these are the questions that we ask ourselves at Valora. And so um, so I think that's one one part of it, right? It's like we try to make it as relevant to them uh, for their use case, for their market, uh, which is, you know, why we invest so much in localization, kind of clean UI, um, trying to make it as easy as possible. Um, and also one where, you know, we're working with kind of these local communities and markets to, to make the, um, the solution, um, as relevant as possible to them. I would say it's still early though, um, because, um, what I've learned just kind of in my career of working with new technology is like, sometimes people don't necessarily know what they need <laughs> or want. Right. And so I think that, um, it's our responsibility just kind of like as a broader, kind of uh, crypto ecosystem and one and a responsibility that we take very seriously at, at Valora is to, you know, uh, iterate, refine and kind of design these systems to be as easy to use, but then also um, listen to our users, right? As as we kind of build things uh, for access, you know, ease of use, et cetera. And, um, and I do think that like, you know, taking a look at how do we build for, for as much access as possible, um, you kind of referenced earlier that, like, um, you know, many of these wallets have kind of started in the desktop version and have, have created a mobile version to it. Um, there's still some work to do, right? Uh, obviously, for, you know, especially for some of these more broadly uh, adopted wallets. Um, I would say when I take a look at the wallet landscape, like, you know, um, going back to uh, different wallets for different use cases and maybe even for different audiences, um, a lot of uh, of what exists today, uh, at least in my opinion, is is uh, for the power user, for the crypto power user, uh, which is fine. And I think like, you know, obviously there's a lot of great solutions out there and there's been a lot of work done. Um, but in terms of, you know, actually designing for someone that uh, may not be familiar uh, with crypto, how do you make it relevant for them? How do you make it approachable for them? I think that's something that, uh, you know, we really strive for uh, at Valora. Um, you know, going back to kind of building for access, like our thesis is really like, you should be able to do everything on your mobile phone, sign up, add funds, transact, access gaps or whatever, you know, whatever use case that you want to do. Um, so I think like, um, you know, that's the thing that we've always seen as kind of our key differentiator is like, how do you have that seamless experience uh, on mobile end to end? Definitely. We are very far from that. Although I know Belor is, you know, taking us a step closer. So as far as the scalability of Alora and how you plan on taking this app to hundreds of millions, billions of people around the world, uh, being really ambitious here, what what needs to what needs to happen? What needs to be in order, uh, technologically speaking? I'd, I'd be really curious mm -hmm. to hear more about that. You mentioned that you can send funds with. A single token rather than re requiring cello in your mm -hmm. wallet right so i'm curious to like dive into both the sort of technical requirements and mm -hmm. and things you're really excited about and then also mm -hmm. more from like a social landscape 
you know, where, how do we scale more wallets? We've mentioned mm -hmm. already like providing people with very clear use cases. And I think that's super important as well, because I think oftentimes mm -hmm. it's the old Henry Ford adage of if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. Yeah. Right. And so exactly. uh, let's, let's explore <laughs> like the technology that like the car mm -hmm. functionally, you know, what, what do we mm -hmm. need from a technological standpoint? And then what are, what mm -hmm. is that new frontier that we can deliver to folks uh, through better wallet? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because um, like what is possible today with Valora already has like massive potential, uh, the ability to get a text money to any phone number in the world. There's 6 billion smartphones out there. And so like this kind of unlocking of a global Venmo, it's like you can send those funds. Great. But I think the challenge that we've learned is, well, what happens when it gets to the other side? You know, can you, you know, use it, use this digital currency kind of in the local currency? And the answer is always like, it depends. It depends where you send it. And that's kind of where this on and off ramp um, uh, conundrum comes in. And so I think that like, you know, the Cello team and Valora, like over the past several years, um, they've done a lot, actually, from a, a technological standpoint to, like, have this global Venmo use case come to life and to be true. And so, like I said, it's like you can send those funds today, but where it lands, like, this is kind of the the work that uh, not only we have to do, but I think the broader ecosystem, right? Like, I think we're still early um, in terms of just, like, overall infrastructure and also just um, how useful is this digital currency in the real world? And, uh, and that's the part where, again, it's not just us, obviously, having, you know, like, not only having this challenge, but also working on this problem, um, but is, you know, is something where, like, the entire ecosystem needs to coalesce around, like, okay, well, how do you kind of make these, these uh, currencies more useful to, to people all around the world? And so, uh, again, this is kind of the reason why, like, Fiat Connect kind of has this open mission and, and one that is really focused on, yeah, anyone participating in that. Um, yeah, but I think like really thinking big, right, the, the potential to serve anyone with a mobile phone with the ability to access, yeah, financial services basically through, uh, through their phone, um, is there, but in terms of like, like I said, it's like, is it useful? Is it relevant? I think like that's the work that needs to be done. Um, and obviously that's a very hard problem to solve. And if it was solved already, you know, uh, I don't know, a company like PayPal or even Facebook tried to do this. Uh, it is a hard one because there's many, it's not only a global problem, but it's also a local one, right? Like how do you make those solutions localize um, to those specific markets? And so that's kind of the, where we're, or at least where we're starting, right? Is like, how do you make those solutions relevant to people uh, in those markets? Kind of learn and iterate from that and then scale uh, and then move forward from there. Uh, but I do think it's something like it, the whole community has to rally around, which is why I've always loved your work, Marcus, in terms of just like really looking at like what is, you know, the entire ecosystem, like what does it actually take uh, to, for all of us to get there? Because I don't think it's, it's well, one, any one company's challenge or, or project's challenge, but it's one where, you know, the whole ecosystem, uh, I hope will trend in that direction. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's really the intention here, right? Is we, we, one, we're not developing in silos. In fact, we're intentionally building composable infrastructure, right? And, and the only way that we will be able to reach this mass adoption is by, Hey, I've got a really great DAP. All right. Well, how can users access this DAP? Okay. You know, it has to be on a mobile first application whereby the onboarding process is super easy. People can immediately on and off ramp, right? Because without that is like this app will be completely useless. Mm -hmm. And um, Stunny recently tweeted something along the lines of, we don't need more layer twos if we don't have adoption, right? It's like mm. we're, we focus so much on um, yeah. this supply side of crypto without, oftentimes it feels bothering to take a look at the demand side. And uh, yeah. we, we've seen a fair amount of demand. And, you know, I think, the, the one thing that no one expected to bring in millions of people into the space were NFTs. And all of a mm -hmm. sudden that was like the biggest sort of entry point into the space. Right. And so uh, I'm really excited to see that whatever that next iteration is, and, and maybe it will continue to be NFTs, uh, for example, and empowering artists around the world and, um, you know, maybe being able to access 
a marketplace through Allura, for example, right? Or whatever mm-hmm. that is, I'm, I'm just super bullish on being able to localize this. But the problem is where we've, it feels that we've sort of reached these, the max capacity mm-hmm. of the um, hyper, like technically savvy folks who are mm-hmm. willing to go through the hassle, right? And the, 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 the next folks that will be able to access crypto actually the solution does have to be super localized, just starting with a language, right? There was a, I remember there was a project that tried to launch a somewhat similar to UBI and the whole thing was in English and there was no translation in mm-hmm. Spanish and they were trying to launch in Latin America. And I just, that that's a non-starter for people here, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I love that you guys are taking a very inverse approach mm-hmm. and that the history of Allura, in fact, you know, to some extent started there as well. Like, Hey, you know, how can we empower, you know, this ties back to questions around like, what's the role of crypto in refugee camps and in Latin America and sort of disenfranchised communities, et cetera. So just really excited by the work you're doing and uh, really looking forward to seeing where the Valora ecosystem continues to grow and flourish before wrapping up. I'm wondering, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, Anything we haven't touched on so far? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if you haven't checked out Valora already, uh, you can find us on the App Store. So just search for Valora and you'll see uh, a little tile gradient of uh, yellow and green. Um, visit our website at valoraapp.com. Follow us on social at Valora App and uh, or find me on Twitter uh, at Jackie Bona. And so, yeah, always happy to, um, you know, talk to anyone about, the future of wallets, kind of things that we could be thinking about, um, Latin America. So all these different things that we've touched upon today. Um, yeah, would love to, yeah, continue the conversation. So thanks so much, Marcus, for, for letting me on the podcast. Absolutely, Jackie. Really, really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. I'm sure the listeners will get a wealth of knowledge from this conversation. So I'll see you around. Take care. Cool. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and joining us along this journey of discovery and exploration as we look towards the frontier of decentralized finance in Latin America. This episode was made possible thanks to the support of the Ethereum Foundation's Fellowship Program, Lens Protocol, and the Cell Foundation. The EF Fellowship Program is a forum for leaders who are driven by leveraging Ethereum as a public good to help billions of people coordinate and thrive. The fellowship program aims to support individuals who are passionate about identifying barriers to mass adoption and breaking down the barriers for underrepresented communities to access crypto. Lens Protocol is an open source tech stack for building decentralized social networking services. The protocol was developed by the Aave companies and launched on Polygon in May of 2022. Through Lens, Web3 developers can build decentralized social media applications and marketplaces that leverage NFT technology to form a fully composable user-owned social graph where the connections and interactions between people are owned by individuals, users, and creators, rather than established networks. And if you're looking for a blockchain platform that's designed to work in the real world, Celo might be the solution for you. With its focus on being carbon negative, mobile first, and EVM compatible, Celo is leading the way towards a new digital economy that's accessible to everyone, particularly those in the global south. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family. Let's connect on Twitter at Marcus, D-O-T-A-M, as well as on Lens, Marcus.Lens. Until next time, keep learning, exploring, growing, and I'll see you on the next episode. Ciao.